Hello, everybody. Welcome to Monday Night Live after a short break. Today, I've uh, got a guest, uh, David Heiner, who's a great friend of mine and a very entertaining speaker. But first of all, I'm going to hand over to Phil Jessen to introduce part of uh, David's talk. Phil, are you there? Yes. Uh, can you hear me all right? Yep, we can hear you fine. Thanks. OK, uh, David, you're going to be very embarrassed now because I'm going to introduce you. And uh, just by way of introduction, I would like to explain that some years ago, um, I introduced David to a project I was working on with one of my clients. It was a leadership development program where one of the goals for the 15 rising stars on the program was to raise £25,000 to support a charity that was working with school children who had been injured on the sports field or indeed road accidents and whatever. Uh, David's performance was stunning as a result of his massive goals thinking. The group raised the objective from 25,000 to 100,000 and they actually brought in 212,000 pounds enough to start the build of a purpose-built centre. That centre was opened by royalty with full BBC and ITV coverage. It's fully operational today. And I would say that that massive goal has probably brought forward the construction of that centre by at least five years. But more importantly than that, because many of these school children, all they want to do is to go and commit suicide as a result of their injuries. I would also say that David has probably saved at least five or ten lives in the process as well. So on that basis, I give you Mr. David Heiner and back to you, Derek. Thanks, Phil. And uh, superb and great job, David. I know you do lots of things behind the scenes. And uh, I thank you very much for supporting me when I was president and chairman of the uh, Professional Speaking Association. But let's get back to you now. And uh, when you spoke to us last time, which was July 2021, you didn't tell us very much about you. So we'd like to know a little bit about you, your early life, what you got up to, and also why you became a professional speaker. Welcome, David. Uh, thank you very much, Derek. Thank you, Phil, for that lovely introduction. You expect me to speak after that introduction? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, too. I think I think for most of us, we we we're, we're sort of in in this world that we live in this bubble, and I think it's a privilege to do what we do. Privilege to do what we do. Mm. Um, okay, so you want to know about me? This this I feel very awkward about this, Derek, because normally I normally hide behind my research and only talk about that. Um, so I'll I'll give you a ninety second potted history, and then you can ask me any questions about any part of it. Fantastic. Uh, average at best student at school because I was immature and a coward, and and that's the truth. <laughs> I was immature, too much of a coward to get education. I wish I could do my high school years again now. It'd be a different story, or would it? Um, I, the best thing that ever happened to me was the scouts. I had a scout leader growing up who was who was basically Baden Powell personified. You know, even in the middle of winter, he'd walk around in breeches, a white vest, and a smoky bear hat, and you know, with no gas cookers, everything was real fires, and we'd go on a fifteen mile trek even if it wasn't needed. It, 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 we had Baden Powell, and he taught me more, perhaps, than anybody has ever done in my life. He gave me confidence, independence, and a bit of a can-do attitude. Um, he also taught me about having experiences and seeking adventure, which is what the Scouts is all about. And so 
I always say scouts taught me more than school ever did. I went to college to prove a careers officer wrong because he said I wasn't clever enough to get into college. So I only went to college to prove a careers officer wrong. I did catering because I thought it was a giggle because I was immature. Uh, turned out to be really good for me. I became a chef. Uh, I became an award-winning chef and started a little catering business that did okay, but it afforded me a living at best. It wasn't really what I would call a, a proper business. It, it earned me a living. I trained also in Scotland in a country house hotel where in the two and a half years I was there, it went from being obscure to voted number two in the country for its food. And uh, I suppose then I started to learn how to fail. Uh, I, I learned how to fail because my little catering business, it was good at what it did. We hardly ever had any complaints and yet the business wasn't growing. So I hired consultants to find out how to grow my business. They told me I was the problem. So I got rid of them and hired other people who told me I was the problem. And then I ate some humble pie and realized that I was a micromanager and a control freak, which is why I wasn't growing the business. Anybody else ever worked for a micromanager or a control freak? What a pain in the backside I was. Um, <laughs> so that's why I wasn't growing the business. So I decided to interview as a hobby only my then customers who were, thankfully, the who's who of the West Midlands and in the middle of the country of the UK. So my clients were football club owners, football managers, theatre directors, theatre owners, entrepreneurs, captains of industry. I had a client list to die for. I started asking them, how do you, what makes you different? How do you think and behave? Especially on the subject of setting goals, because I'd never been taught how to set goals. What they told me contradicted everything I'd ever heard before. It sounded simplistic. It sounded flippant. It sounded fluffy. And if anyone knows the West Midlands and Birmingham in particular, you know that we eat people who do personal development. We don't do fluffy. We're more slappy kicky than fluffy woolly. And, um, I, I realized that they were all saying similar things, but they were all so simple, so easy. And what many of us might dismiss as sound bites and semantics, they were actually living their life by these quotes. And to this day, you know, if you go into any office in the country or indeed the world, they'll have these posters up on the wall of someone standing on a mountaintop, punching the air in a sunset with a motivational quip underneath. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Top achievers live by these quotes they don't just go oh that's nice that's inspiring they live by them and so I learned so much from these top achievers but specifically how to set goals and how they set goals that those hobby that hobby became an obsession my wife would say I became evangelistic about it because I started to apply what I was hearing and that's when I started to for the first time in my life achieve things that by my measurement were significant at the time and as a result of beginning to apply it myself we went through a period of I think it was about 14 15 years maybe where me and a friend we broke four charity fundraising records uh traveled the world having adventures of a lifetime raising over a million pounds for good causes and giving tens of thousands of people experiences of a lifetime on the back of that, we've now worked with business, education, 1.2 million people all over the world uh, over the last 23 years. And I'm very purpose-driven. I know why I do what I do. Brilliant. Absolutely. Apart from that, I'm just a little fat guy from Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and you're very good at taking the mickey out yourself and uh, uh, with great humour. Now, I want to know about assumptions. One of the issues with negotiating is that people make assumptions. Uh, we know assumptions make an ass out of you and me, etc. And if you don't ask questions, you don't find out where the other person is coming from. But you do. I've seen you do something on stage around assumptions. Uh, can I get yes. you to do something for us today on that, please? Okay, well, I've picked something different to last time because I know there's one or two people in the room who saw this last time. So I, I, I try to break the ice very, very quickly when I present to young people or chief execs or business teams by getting them to realise how in many cases our assumptions are the things that hold us back. And we very rarely, especially in the British psychology, elsewhere in the world, especially America, far better than the UK. Other cultures around the world are better. In the UK, we tend to be very down on ourselves and we just believe our negative assumptions. We very rarely challenge them, very rarely, or as often as we should. So I do a very, very simple two truths, one lie exercise. So here's me putting my backside on the line right now. I'm going to tell you three things about me. One of these things will be the only lie I'm telling you, and two of these things are true. I'm not going to trick you because you're intelligent men and women by having done all of them or none of them. One of them is a lie. Two of them really are true. I'll explain what they are. And then you can vote by very quickly in the chat box, posting a one, two or three, according to which of these you think is the lie. Everyone clear? Okay, that's the easy bit. Now, according to Professor Adrian Furnham, who by any measurement is Europe's leading business psychologist, that man is so clever that if Derek Arden stands next to him, he gets clever through osmosis, right? <laughs> He says that half of you as a group need to get this right for you as a group to even to be average at guessing. No pressure. OK, so I'll explain what they are and then you vote in the chat box. Is the line number one. I cannot read a note of music. But I can play boogie woogie on the piano to a fairly high standard. Right. Is the lie number two. At an open mic night, I once sat next to, all night long, my rock god hero, Robert Plant, lead singer of Led Zeppelin, and didn't recognise him. Or is the lie number three? I have sung on the main stage of Symphony Hall in the great city of Birmingham. So one of them is a lie, and very quickly, in the chat box, press which, which one is it, a one, a two, or a three? Phil Jesson straight in there with Led Zepp. Uh, Andrew thinks piano is the lie. Derek, one. Carl, two. Alex, two. Two, two, one, one. So it's all ones and twos at the moment. One has it. Sound like a horse race commentator. Bedger comes in with a three. Paul comes in with a three. Nancy, a one. This, I think it's the ones are having this at the moment. One or twos are coming back. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Go Pretty okay. even, David. Say again? It's pretty even, actually. It's pretty even. Although I think there's one, done two, three. There's only three threes, four threes. Yeah. There's five yeah. ones. Okay. Five ones. So the ones have it, followed yeah. by the twos and then the three. So you've been British and you've formed the queue, right? That's what's happened there. You formed the queue. And so most of you, and not all of you, not all of you, but most of you, many of us, um, it's about 80% of us in most audiences, regardless of size. We now have in your head another excuse that you're using to justify the rubbish you've just made up in your head. So most of us have had something like, well, he couldn't have done that because, 
So you've made something up to make yourself feel good about the thing you've just made up. A bit like when we say, um, oh, I can't do that. I can't achieve that because. And we'll make something up to make us feel comfortable about the rubbish we tell ourselves. So what I'm hearing here, most of you think piano, followed by Led Zepp, Robert Plant, followed by Symphony Hall. So the truth is that I cannot read a note of music, but actually I can play rock and roll and boogie woogie to a fair old standard on the piano. The truth is that I not only, it's worse than the fact, it's worse than the fact, I not only sat next to my rock god hero, Robert Plant, all night at an open mic night and didn't recognise him, when he got up to sing in the second half of the evening, afterwards he sat down, I turned to him and went, you're good, mate. <laughs> and no i haven't sung on symphony i know phil i know and and uh, i haven't sung on symphony hall I, I i'm not i love singing i'm not good so what we've discovered here is that most of you are really really bad at guessing and you should stop it mm. and and that's true in our businesses it's true in our personal lives it's true in our relationships and and it's true for your customers as well if, if, if we can smash our team, our organizations, our clients, limiting assumptions and ask them only this, work with what's true and find out what the truth is, 99% of the time, we all discover we're far, far, far more able than we give ourselves credit for. We're going to do one more? Well, another, another assumptions. Yeah, let's do one more. Okay, just for fun. Uh... Here we <laughs> Here we go. One more. Let's let's see if you get any better this time. Is the line number one? I have been top story on Sky News. Is the line number two? I have had a boa constrictor constrict upon me. Ugh. Or is the line number three? I have been best man at five people's weddings. So one of them is a lie. Two of them really are true. Um. So. Go on then. Let's uh, let's let's hit 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 the chat. So, is it number one? Sky News is the lie. Is it number two? You haven't had a boa constrictor constrict upon you, or is it number three? You haven't been best man at five people's weddings. Okay, so we've got twos, threes. Got one one from Paul. Sky News. Nigel goes for best man number three. Twos, twos and threes at the moment. I think. No, sorry, ones and twos. No, yeah, yeah, twos, twos, two, twos, twos are having it. Two's are having it. Fedgy says two. Lynn says two. Mary says one. One. Mary goes for Sky News. Phil goes for three. Best man. Okay, so it, it's a bit more even this one, but I think the threes have it. Would you say, Derek? Threes yeah, have just it. About just about. Okay, and uh, yeah. so the, the the truth this time we could do this all night. Um, <laughs> the the yeah, we could all do it. We, we could all have fun um, over a beer. So the truth is, I have actually been best man at five people's weddings. Uh, the truth, and I'm not proud of this. I have had an eight foot long boa constrictor snake constrict upon me. All I'll tell you, it was a stag night in Harrogate that went wrong. That's all I'm saying. Never mix alcohol and wild animals is my message to you today, my little chickens. Um, Sky News is a lie. They have something against brummies. I don't know what it is. So there we go. So you're still bad at guessing as a group. And the point there, David, is don't make assumptions, isn't it? You know, work with what's true. Always work with what's true. We yeah. we believe the negative. We err on the side of caution far, far too easily. Um, 
we we don't like uncertainty so we try to justify ourselves as quickly as possible why we couldn't do something because there's danger involved there's uncertainty involved and you know we we think we fear failure we don't we fear uncertainty what we want is the confidence and certainty to do stuff anybody here i bet you if you look back at the things you've achieved in your life it's when you either had a reason to do it greater than your fear of failure or you had massive certainty in yourself that you could do it mm. and it's it's these little foibles, these fears, these reasons. We just allow them to get in our own way. Okay, let's move on now, if that's all right with you. I want to talk about voices in your head because in psychology, people talk about voices in your head. We all get voices in your head. And I've always been fascinated why generally for most people, they're negative and why they're not positive and why the negative wins on a factor of five to one quite often. Uh, what's your take on that? I I think, well, well, it depends who you speak to. If you're asking David Hine opinion, David Heiner's opinion, or the psychologists and neuropsychologists I've interviewed, they would say that since the First World War, the human race learned that you don't necessarily have a go. You keep quiet. You stay dumb. You don't put your head above the parapet. You know, that's where these quotes and sayings came from you don't play big you don't step out you play small you fit in you conform and i don't think i'm sorry i'm distracted by andrew's quote he's been bitten by a tiger sorry <laughs> andrew i so need to have a beer with you we'll come back we'll come back we'll come back to that back yeah. to that later you keep going on this this is my show so keep going david but there there are lots and lots of events in all of our lives both professionally and personally where we have learned we either can do something or we can't the problem is that the can't we apply in lots of other areas instead of just that one area so to this day, I still have an assumption that algebra is a foreign language, right? Fractions, a foreign language to me. Now, spreadsheets, mystery, a total mystery to me. It actually makes me feel scared thinking about spreadsheets because I'm not that kind of a person. But would you agree, my friends, if my son's life depended upon me learning algebra and spreadsheets within a day, I'd own it. Would you agree? All we all we need is that certainty, that reason why that's bigger than our fears and insecurities. And that gives us the certainty we need to. Here's the thing. We will always face challenges and knockbacks. What we tend to do is go, oh, I tried. If you've got a, a reason why you must that's bigger than your fear of failure or that massive certainty and conviction you stand up, you brush yourself down, and you tend to look the challenge in the eye. And excuse my brummy tone here, but you go, is that all you've got? Really? And you go again and again and again. So you you become unstoppable. It doesn't matter. You know, Every single one of us have done things that we didn't think we could do at the beginning. Every single one of us. And by the way, if you don't think that's true, drive a car, ride a bike, swim, walk. There you go. There's four things that in the beginning, most of us really didn't think we could ever do. And we do it subconsciously now. We do it without thinking. Yeah. So all we need is a reason why. You know, we, we learned to ride a bike because we saw our friends in the park over the road riding bikes. So when that person holding that well-intentioned person who stood behind us holding the back of the saddle going, pedal fast. And you went, what? 
are you mad? Because and then you fell off, you got scabby knees. And I think we learn to learn to have scabby knees a bit more now, not wrap ourselves up in cotton wool because mm. we are going to fall over. We are going to fail occasionally, but it's not the end of us. Mm. You know, yeah. looking looking around the room, we're all of a, a similar age demographic. You know, we we learn by falling over, or in my case, falling out of trees because I wasn't very good at climbing them. And I'm still here. You know, you're still here. Some of us have got tiger scars. You know, I mean. <laughs> I bet, I bet Andrew learned a lesson that day. And the, the reason so many of us err on the side of negative is because we think it's safe, but we never consider the consequences of playing safe in terms of, I call it living on one day aisle, Derek. You know, we can live on one day I'll do that. Wonder When I retire, then I'll do that. When I've got 5 million in the bank, then I'll do that. We live on this place called one day I'll do it. The problem is that when when that when that one day comes, we're 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 sitting in a retirement home with a tartan traveling lug rug tucked around our legs on those plastic covered chairs. And we're looking out the bay window after lunch with a bit of potato puree in the corner of our mouth. And we, and what's your head filled with in that moment? Are we living our life in a way that has legacy for us, that makes us proud of what we've done, or will it be? I wish I could have, should have. Sure. Oh, David, let's keep moving on because this is now. Last time Graham Jones and, and I ran our top masterclass, Graham, yeah. being controversial like you, said smart goals are a load of rubbish. Now, this Good upset man. one or two people uh, and they took umbrage on it. And I had to dig Graham out of it because they'd been taught smart <laughs> goals. And uh, Graham didn't like it. And one or two of you know my friend Graham Jones, and he's on next week, actually. Um, you don't, you, you think uh, smart goals are awful as well, as, as I do. But just tell us in two minutes why that is. There are very few things in my life, Derek, that I would be arrogant enough to say, I know. But I know smart goals don't work. I know they don't work. I can prove it. Because the whole world is being taught to set smart goals or realistic and achievable targets based upon a myth. If you go to any, any leadership school or business school uh, professor teaching goal setting, they will quote smart goals. And if you ask them, what is it based upon? Hardly any of them can give an answer. And the ones that do will quote a book by Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker was not the original source of SMART goals. The reason I know this is because I'm a researcher and I'm a sceptical Brummie, and if I'm going to talk about goal setting, I'm going to know what things are based upon. So I did my knitting, and I tracked down the earliest known source of massive goals. SMART, sorry, SMART goals. And that is a guy called George T. Duran, a project manager from the United States who worked on multi-billion dollar water utility projects I've read everything he's ever written. I've watched the only video that I know of that exists of him being interviewed where never once does he say, Derek, your goal should be smart. What he actually says, quote verbatim, is when working on really big projects, the steps to your goal should be smart. That's different. That's different. And please, somebody humor me in the room. Somebody humor me. Type in the chat box, somebody out of 258 top achieving men and women all over the world that I have asked the question, how do you set goals of? 
How many of them do you think answered said question by going, ooh, I set realistic and achievable goals? <laughs> Not a single one of them. Wow. They, to a man and woman, used words like big, huge. The most common word used was massive. So I learned how they used smart steps, realistic and achievable steps, to massive goals. And we created our model based upon how top achievers set and achieve bigger goals. They still fail occasionally, but because they achieve big occasionally, people don't tend to go, oh, look at Richard Branson, what a failure. Look at Elon Musk, what a failure. Because they look at the successes. If we set realistic and achievable goals, Here's the consequences of playing with the erring on the side of caution and negativity. This is where this kicks in. The consequences of only setting realistic and achievable goals for ourselves personally and professionally is that we achieve average at best mm. and we fail occasionally. If you set massive goals, you will still fail occasionally, but you will achieve massively occasionally. I know that at the age of 30, I had achieved hardly anything at all in my life since the age of 30 in the last 26 years i've done things that i never ever could have dreamt possible derek and it's and and forget me the thing i'm more proud of is the things other people have achieved using them like like phil's phil jesson's team that he so kindly introduced me to you know when other people do things like that and three or four of that team have messaged me since then saying, what an experience, changed my perspective. And that, that's what I beg. If, ladies and gentlemen in the room today, in the Zoom room, if you take anything from this session today, I know that this is worth Derek's, Phil's and my time. If one person three years from now sends me an email and says, Dave, you're not going to believe what I did by going after my massive goal. Mm. To me, that's this time well spent for all of us. Brilliant, David. That's that's great. What I'm going to do now is say that this is the end of part one, because uh, we're going to go on to part two in a minute, because I've got a number of other questions that I want to ask you. So thanks for joining part one. And I'm just going to stop the recording now.